Have you experienced a crisis recently within the last two years that impacted your finances negatively? I'm going to teach you guys how to earn more and not less in a crisis. You are listening to Smart Businesses Do This, the podcast show for freelancers, side hustlers, and upcoming small business owners who want to transform their current business or business idea into a company that is built to succeed, simple to run, and gives you the freedom to live your life on your own terms. I'm your host, Adam Lyons. Let's get started. Now, this could be the COVID lockdown. It could be supply chain issues. It could be a career change, being fired. It could be the loss of a client. It could be a health concern. I just want to know if this has impacted you. Please let me know. Okay. You will see that we have a resounding yes from almost everyone. And it is shocking to think that I can reach out to a number of people in the world and say, have you experienced a crisis recently? And everyone says yes. But that's where we are in the world. And I'm guessing some of you have realized that we are currently in or about to be in a time of crisis. Like, it's continuing. And are you all aware of that? Is anyone out there in denial thinking, It's bad to be all roses. Everything's going to be great. Here we go. Here's the exercise. The world is in crisis. I want you to imagine that there's a table of $100,000 cash in front of you. And I'm giving you the opportunity to grab as much of it as you need to prepare for the issues ahead. Okay, it's a table. Each one of you has got this table. It's not like one table between all of you, your own table. And it is all for you. All the money is for you, but you have to take it right now. And whatever you leave is left. So you got one moment, grab as much cash as you want, but whatever you leave is left and you cannot get back. How much of the $100,000 will you take and would you leave any behind? Please write and let me know. How sure are you of your answer? How sure are you that you would take it all? Write it down. Be like, I'm going to take it all. Be, but really think about it. Would you really? I can use that. Would you really? See, I told you to look that. Yeah? I think I would. Zach says he thinks you would. All right, cool. Forget that for a second and put it to one side. You ready for this? Finish this quote by Benjamin Franklin. Time is? Money. What is time? Time is? Money. Time is money. Now, how much time do you leave on the table every day? How much of your day is wasted? not doing things you should be doing. Time is money. We all know it. Benjamin Franklin said it. There's a table of 100 grand on the table every day. Now, check this, guys. I take all of it. And that, my friends, is the difference between you and me. I do take all of it. Not the money, but I use all my time. All of it. There is no amount of time left over. Now, that doesn't mean I don't watch Netflix. I, I really hate when journalists like, if you spent less time watching Netflix, you could be successful. No, bullshit. Watching Netflix actually keeps you up to date with societal changes, some really important concepts. It helps you recover and, and recharge. No, that's not what wasted time is. 
Wasted time is something else. And we are going to talk about that today because when you're in a financial crisis or a global crisis, you will stress the fuck out. Excuse my profanities. But when you stress out, you're not thinking clearly. You don't make good decisions. And if you don't make good decisions, you will waste time. You will waste time being angry, frustrated, running around trying to work out what to do, doing the same thing over and over again, hoping that this time it's going to be different. You are wasting time, not in Netflix, in spending time with loved ones. That's not a waste. You're wasting time in stress, drama, fear, not sure what to do, being manipulated, being controlled. This is where the stress is. This is what's impacting your ability to make money. Other people that don't know what they're doing, telling you what to do, and you're listening to them. That is the waste of time, which is actually the waste of money. When a crisis hits, most people spend their time jumping onto the internet. What's going on? What are we going to do? How are we going to handle this? Hoping that business isn't going to be impacted or their career or they're not going to get fired. I don't. I have a blueprint, a sequence of steps I instantly go into to stay calm, to stay focused, and to grab as much time on that table as possible and make sure I'm using it effectively. And that time, thanks to Benjamin Franklin, turns into cash. In today's seminar, I'm going to teach you how to, in a crisis, optimize your time, optimize your money, and get as much of it as possible. And we're going to deal with mindset. We're going to deal with how money works. We're going to deep dive into the educational system to explain why so many people waste time. And this is going to be a seminar unlike anything you've ever heard before. I swear to you. But I promise, if you stick with it to the end, you will learn to think about a crisis as no longer a problem, but as the time where you will become the most successful in life. Because my companies historically grow on average 50% during any crisis. That included the recession that we experienced about 20 years ago. That included COVID and the lockdown. My company grew 50% in size because actually it's in a crisis where you get to grow. Because in, in a regular business, in the and even if you're an employee, right? As an employee, if you want to get a promotion, what do you need? You need the person above you to, what do you need them to do, guys? You want to get a promotion. The person above you has to get fired. You will go straight up. And in a crisis is where that is most likely to happen. When I worked in companies, they're like, we're going to get rid of a third of the workforce. I'm like, oh boy, promotions are coming. Because they fire a whole bunch of people and then they have a budget and they give everyone else a promotion to stay. Now, all the people that are worried about their jobs, <laughs> they ain't working. I have never worked in a company and been worried about getting fired. Ever, because I am outworking everybody else. I know how productive I am. When companies start going bankrupt, I ain't worried because I know how hard I'm working. Let me re rephrase that. I know how efficiently I'm using my time, not the same as hardworking. And I promise you, you are going to have a number of revelations in this seminar. Are you willing to stay 
to the very end to collect every single gold nugget that I'm going to give you. Because I'd love you to, even when it gets weird, because we're going down the rabbit hole today, my friends. So if you guys are cool, we're going down the rabbit hole. We're going there. And what I love about this is, this is one of my seminars. I'm not doing this for another company, right? This isn't some, you know, like digital marketer asking me to create something for them. So I've got like no holds barred, profanities flowing. This is the real deal, my friends. We are going deep. So there's a lot here, guys. So if you guys are cool with it, we are doing it. Here we go. Whether you earn $25,000, $250,000, or $2.5 million a year, one thing is certain, you can, should, and could be earning more. I don't care where you are in life, you should listen very carefully to everything I'm about to say. This applies to employees and business owners alike. I'm going to try and make sure I reference both, but do not make the mistake of thinking you already know this. I guarantee you, you do not. Have you ever noticed that some people seem to have like a natural instinct to make money? Like for them, they can just make money. And for other people, it's very, very difficult. Which of these two things makes you successful? Is it nature or nurture? Are you successful because you're born into success or your, your genetics make you likely to be successful? Or is it actually something to do with nurture? Because I'm going to push against nature. Let's look at this. My mom was a stripper. My dad was a janitor. We were born in a home where we could barely afford a loaf of bread. And I spent some time living on the streets. Hmm. Doesn't feel like I had too many advantages in life, right? And then you can talk about, yeah, but you seem smart. I guarantee you, I've got one of the worst educations of anyone you know. I am a straight C student. I have five high school grades and I failed all the others. Out of nine subjects, I failed four and I got five Cs. Everything else is an E or lower. Um, I have no higher education whatsoever. I have ADD. I struggle to focus. So yeah, not really any superpowers there, my friends. Nurture is the key. Nurture is what it's all about. But we ain't talking about school. School isn't always the answer. There's a difference between education and school, and we're going to discuss this right now. Horace Mann is actually credited as the father of the American public school system. Uh, Horace studied different educational models before settling on the Prussian system designed by Frederick the Great. King Frederick created a system that was engineered to teach obedience and solidify his control. Focusing on following directions, basic skills, and conformity, he wanted to indoctrinate the nation from an early age. The idea is to isolate students in rows and teachers in individual classrooms fashioned a strict hierarchy, intentionally fostering fear and loneliness. In essence, if you felt that school was one of the worst experiences of your life, it was designed to be. It should have fostered fear loneliness, control, conformity. This is why I did bad at school. I am not the kind of person naturally that conforms. And while on one hand, my parents are strippers and janitors, on the other hand, my dad's a janitor that smoked weed his whole life and didn't conform because fuck the man. And my mum was a stripper because she didn't want to conform either. I actually come from a line of non-conformists. My family has a superpower and the superpower is we don't listen to people. That's my, that's my skill. Everyone's like, what's your power? Is it because you learn? Is it because you learn? No, I just don't listen to anyone. That's my, that's my real power. I don't listen to anybody. Unless what they're saying is worth listening to. And that is the one thing I learned that my parents didn't teach me. See, my parents didn't listen to anyone. But I learned that some people 
you should listen to. And no matter how much in my core, I didn't want to listen to anyone. I would find the people I should listen to and listen to everything they say, everything, absorb it to the point that I'm fanatically loyal. I'm like, this is the person I'm not listening to anyone, just this person about this one thing. Now, the American education system was designed to make you waste time. Why do we need to memorize things? And like, imagine like a, a school exam. You have three hours to answer all the questions. Why do I have to stay in the room for three hours? Why can't I answer them quickly and leave and be more productive? Because the school system isn't about making you productive. It's about making you conform and sit in a chair in silence. Why can't I bring my resource materials with me when I'm in the real world? Like lawyers have books and books behind them they can pull out to research. Why do I need to memorize it? Why can't the skill be how good I am at finding the information in the book? That's a skill as well. A hard skill to find, I might add. Because the education system was designed to make factory workers. People that didn't need to go and get the book because they could work it out without leaving the floor. Memorizing. English, math, arithmetic, right? Was it uh, reading, arithmetic, and whatever the other one is? The whole point was you could read the manual, do basic math, and you were capable of actually performing on the factory floor without leaving. So, next. This is Neil Gaiman. I love this guy. He's an author. I've been making a list of the things they don't teach you at school. They don't teach you how to love somebody. They don't teach you how to be famous. They don't teach you how to be rich or how to be poor. They don't teach you how to walk away from someone you don't love any longer. They don't teach you how to know what's going on in someone else's mind. They don't teach you to say to someone who's dying, and they don't teach you anything worth knowing. Everything in the list I just shared with you are things that the average human will go through a lot more than needing the periodic table. I have literally never once needed the periodic table since leaving school, except to have an argument with somebody about what the order of the periodic table was. And it feels like my phone could have solved that for me. But everything on this list here, oh, I've needed that a lot. Today is the anniversary of the death of my brother. And no one ever taught me how to deal with that. I had to figure that out on my own. And worse, help my nephews deal with it. This is difficult and tough and hard, and school didn't prepare me for shit. You know what else school doesn't pay for? Paying taxes. We all have to pay taxes, every single one of us. But we're not taught how to unless we do a special course in it. School isn't preparing us. I qualified for scholarships to two private schools when I was a kid. And I ended up at the public school system because my, my dad gambled away my fees. Out of boredom, I answered all my math questions in binary because I didn't want to do what everyone else was doing. I had completely lost interest in school at the age of 13, at the age of 11, let's be real. I didn't bother completing higher education because when I started college, I lasted six weeks before my professor asked me for some of my contacts because they didn't want to be a teacher anymore. And I realized my contacts were worth more than the education system. So I quit within 24 hours. And I come from a low income family. Where am I today? I have six homes as of yesterday, just closed on a new home in Tennessee. Um, the car that isn't the Maserati in the picture 
is a Mercedes and a Porsche that we own as a family. I'm an active investor in multiple different projects and companies and stocks and crypto and goodness knows what. I'm a contributor for Forbes magazine. You guys may have heard of it. I was on the front cover of a mergers and acquisitions magazine known as Acquisitions Aficionado. Never thought the word aficionado would be associated to me, except maybe, I don't know, criminal aficionado when I was a kid, right? Um, I've got multiple two-comma club awards. You guys can see them here. That means I made a million dollars in a year on a single, a single website. Did it multiple times. And I'm a speaker and an author. School didn't prepare me for any of that. School had no interest in helping me do these things. So what does need to be overcome in order to succeed? Now, we are about to go down the rabbit hole. If you do not like my attitude, the way I speak, uh, the cussing, anything like that, you need to leave now because what's going to come next is going to shock you. We are going to talk about serious economical issues in the world. You will not like it. Just going to warn you now. Please leave if you don't like this. Nigel Nicholson, a psychologist at the London Business School, said, if you don't have money, you will feel envious of others. But if you do have money, you will feel guilty and paranoid that you are a target for the envy of those that don't have it. This is called a vicious circle, a paradox. If you don't have money, you're envious, but the act of feeling envious means that you don't want money because you're worried others will be envious of you. It is an internal psychological uh, dilemma that stops people from being successful. Get it? You should not allow yourself to feel envious of others' successes. It is one of the first steps in you being comfortable having success yourself. Instead of thinking, oh, why did that guy get that? Why did he get it? You're going to be like, good for them. I'm so happy they got it. That's the first step. Shame around money creates negativity. We have these ideas. We need to work hard to be proud of your success. No, no, you can just have success easily. Which would you rather have? I give you $10 million right now, or you work hard this week and earn a million yourself. Which would you rather have? Write it down. Everyone that said work hard, you're just wrong. You can just have 10 million and then you can use that 10 million to make even more and do wonderful things in the world. It's a free offer of 10 million. You don't need to work hard. That's your own programming that's wrong. Here's 10 million. No, no, I do not want that. I want to work hard. Great. That's your mindset. You ever wondered that maybe that's why things are difficult for you? It's a free offer of 10 million. You can just take it. No, just give me one but I want to work hard for it. What is wrong with you? No, you take the 10. That is what is wrong with the mindset. Take the 10 million and use it to do something amazing. Then work hard afterwards. Why not? Another problem. You decide that you need to stop working on your own goals to help others that aren't succeeding. How many people have given away their life to look after a parent with a, a condition? Why not just work harder and hire a nurse? Make more money and hire a nurse to do it. They're better qualified. Don't confuse yourself thinking that you're better because you love them. You don't have the education. If I had to look after somebody who needed 24-7 care, 
I would work around the clock to make money to make sure they had the care they needed. The best care. I wouldn't make the mistake of trying to do it myself while juggling a job. You can't remove the focus from your own goals to help others. You cannot. This is the airplane analogy. When the airplane's going down and the oxygen pops on, you put your mask on first, then you help someone else. And here's why. If you help them first to be polite and you go unconscious and they were incapable of putting their own mask on, if something goes wrong, they cannot put it back on. And you're now unconscious and can't help them. On the other hand, if you put your own mask on and they fall unconscious, you can put your, their mask on them and revive them. You help others from a position of strength, not a position of sacrifice. I will say it again. You help others from a position of strength and not a position of sacrifice. Now, I used to have a best friend. We're no longer friends. And I'm going to explain why we're no longer friends. It came down to a very simple argument. He would tell me every year that I should do more to help with charities. And every time he said it, I would respond and say, this year, I have donated this much money. Show how much money I've donated. How much of you? And he would say, none, but I'm not as rich as you. That was his argument. And then one day I'd had enough of this. And I said to him, how many hours a week do you work? And he goes, well, you know, I'm out of work right now. I was like, how many hours have you donated to a soup kitchen to help out? And he goes, well, none. I was like, so therefore, any amount of time I've donated to charities more than you. And yet you have more time to donate than me. And yet I have donated my time to charity and my money. You're standing on a moral high horse that you don't have permission to stand on. If you take your 40 hours a week that you're not putting into a job because you're out of work and you're not volunteering that to help in a charity, you have no say on what I should do and not do with my own time. I give exactly what I can afford and as much of it as I can. But I know to prepare to look after people I care about as well. You sit playing video games, bro. And that was pretty much the end of our friendship. That's when the whole thing collapsed. Because I showed him time is money. There are many ways to donate. It doesn't just have to be cash. He wanted me to stop focusing on my goals out of guilt that he put on me or tried to put on me. It didn't work. When he wasn't even doing it himself. If you make other people feel shame for their success or hold them back, they are unlikely to help you. And now that friend, I'm never helping him again with anything ever. And now he's got no ability to tell me what I should and shouldn't do. I'm still going to help for the same reason I always did. It was never out of his guilt. And it was always because I like helping people. And he doesn't. He likes telling people they should help people. That's just not the same. Now, you need to be aware of a bubble, guys. The school system is part of a bigger problem. It was a Delta Force operative that told me about the bubble. And it's a simple fact that not everyone can be rich. If we took all the money in the world and divided it up evenly, no one would be rich. Everyone would have to work hard. Everyone would have to pitch in. We live in a world where certain people have created a system to make sure they stay rich. And I call that the financial bubble. It's not the financial bubble of the economy. It's a different financial bubble. It's designed to keep as many people as possible in an illusionary bubble, where when you get to the top, you can't break out of it. And it supposedly keeps you safe 
from falling through the bottom. And yet many people have fallen out the bottom. The people have fallen out the bottom, the homeless, the sick, veterans that are being ignored, they have fallen out the bottom. And then there are other people that are through the top, those that don't pay taxes. I, I literally know a guy who's a billionaire and to avoid taxes, he flies his private jet once a month to a different country for a certain period of time. So he officially has no home despite owning homes all over the world, right? He just does not live anywhere long enough to have an identity. Somebody wanted to sue him and he stayed in his plane in the air for 10 days so that they couldn't serve him papers and landed at secret airports to refuel. So you couldn't sue him because he couldn't be caught because you couldn't serve him because he was in the air. And there isn't currently a, a flying service to sue someone. Like there's a dude outside your window with a parachute. Yo, 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 you seeing this now? You're going to court. You know what I mean? Like that's, that is the top of the bubble. People that are outside the top of it. Yeah. Why would somebody ever buy a $7,000 jacket? Do you guys know jackets like this? A $7,000 jacket. I saw somebody buy a $7,000 jacket on a whim. Let me explain it to you. I was in Miami and I was hanging out with a buddy of mine. He's a Delta Force operative. He's active. Right now, I can't talk to him on the phone because of everything going on in the world. He's literally unavailable. He's like proper deep, deep, deep espionage when he goes, when he goes under and does stuff. And um, we're, in a, we're in a shop and he's talking to this woman and she says, that jacket looks good on you. So he buys it and it's $7,000. And I'm like, bro, you're just going to buy a $7,000 jacket because a woman says it looks nice on you. And he goes, yeah, why not? I said, because it's seven grand. Now I know how much this guy makes. He doesn't make a lot, but he had a lot of savings. And he goes, listen, for all I know, next week I'm going to get shot. When I get shot next week, all the money in my bank doesn't mean anything. But a compliment from a beautiful girl about a jacket that might get me a few more compliments this week is worth it. I value the compliments more than $7,000. So why wouldn't I spend on it? He didn't buy $7,000 to get the jacket, spend $7,000 to get the jacket. He spent $7,000 for the life experience of the compliments that he got while wearing the jacket. I want you guys to think about that because the kind of person that thinks that way doesn't live in the bubble because that isn't sensible. You don't have to be sensible with money. In fact, being sensible with money, you got to ask yourself, where did the sense come from of what you should be doing with it? It came from people that are above the bubble that want you to stay in the bubble. The elements of the bubble are the following. Welfare, food stamps, taxes, law enforcement, education, and laws. They are all designed to keep you inside the bubble. If you don't believe me, have a look at how much taxes Amazon pays. Your average small business in America will pay more in dollars not percentage, in dollars than Amazon will pay in taxes. That's insane. One of the most successful companies in the world pays less taxes than a mom and pop shop in America. That's because Jeff Bezos lives above the bubble, along with a lot of other people. Did you know that Jeff Bezos in the countries where, uh, in the states where he works, will often change the rules of the city through funding local politics? to make sure that he's not breaking laws because he's altered what the laws are. 
I love what uh, one of the people said in the chat, um, our laws are so dumb it should not be allowed. The reality is the minute you say it shouldn't be allowed, you're using the same system they used to break to try and control them. They made that system. So it, it doesn't matter what laws you create, they will always make a loophole because they make the system. It's their game. This would be like playing a video game and complaining that one of the bosses is too powerful. They, they just don't have to do anything about it. The only way to make the game change is to talk to the creators of the game. And if they don't agree with you, they're just not going to listen. So you need to understand that the, trying to fix the bubble from inside the bubble is impossible because you're bound by the rules of the bubble. All the laws are made by those people, the policymakers, welfare, food stamps, everything. It's all designed. If you struggle, welfare and food stamps will help you out. But you got to make sure you pay your taxes so you get it. If you're succeeding, you've got to give that money away to help the people at the bottom of the bubble. But why is nobody outside the bubble paying? The homeless people don't pay taxes on the money they receive from begging because they're outside the bubble. And they don't receive welfare and food stamps because they're outside the bubble. The people above the bubble don't pay taxes because they write the laws and make them in a way they don't have to pay it. Do you understand? From inside the bubble, you cannot change the bubble. You got to get it out. You got to move outside of the bubble. So I love it. I've got people talking about like, um, can you address some of these things, right? Can you address the laws? Can you address? The, the reality is I'm not here to do that today. I'm actually not here to discuss the bubble. Because the bubble's fucked. That's why I'm passionate about it. I don't care about the bubble. I don't live in the bubble. I live outside of the bubble. In my own company, I was talking to a new staff member. In my own company, we provide the best possible medical care available in Texas. Because I can't change Texas's laws or America's laws and force free medical care on everyone. I think we should have it. But the bubble doesn't listen to me. And I could spend my whole life trying to fight from inside the bubble and you can't fix it. The bubble can only be fixed outside the bubble. Like the matrix, you can't fix the matrix from in the matrix. You have to leave the matrix to fix the matrix, right? You got to get out. Likewise, so the best thing I can do is I provide the best medical care for my employees I possibly can. That's the, the best I can do. But I live outside the bubble and I work outside the bubble. That's where real things happen. And I'm inviting all of you not to leave the bubble because for some of you, you won't like it out here. I'm inviting you to just look outside. That's it. The reason I call it a bubble is it's fragile. You upset too many people in the bubble. You push against the bubble long enough, it pops and you are outside the bubble. And once you're outside, getting back in is really, really difficult. In fact, I've been told I'm unemployable not because of any paperwork reasons, simply because I think differently. I would be frustrated with anybody put in charge of me because they would make dumb decisions. I would need to be talking to the owner of the company to have any real impact. So I'm unemployable. I can partner with people. I can consult for companies, but you can't employ me. I simply make too much money and make too many good decisions. And inside the company, that would be the company bubble. And unless it's built in a way that encourages growth for employees, I'm going to struggle with it. So I've been unemployable for a long time, but I've helped build and grow many, many companies, 1,900 companies in the last two years, over 1,900. So I'm just inviting you to pop your head out and have a look. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. Okay. How easy can the bubble be broken? 
The world's earliest documented water war happened 4,500 years ago when the armies of Lagash and Uma, two cities I'm sure you're well aware of, city-states near the junction of the Tigris and Euphrates rivers battled with spears and chariots after Uma's king drained an irrigation canal leading from the Tigris. In Syria, a devastating drought beginning in 2006 forced many farmers to abandon their fields and migrate to urban centers. There is evidence that the migration fueled the civil war there in which 80,000 people died. You had a lot of angry, unemployed men helping to trigger a revolution. So I want you guys to really take a moment. You'll remember the war in Syria, right? You probably don't remember the war between Lagash and Uma, but you remember the war in Syria. What if I told you that most wars on the planet were because of water issues? Could this ever happen in America? I want you to imagine having to use portable showers in a church parking lot and dump a bucket of water into your toilet to flush. For some people in California, they don't have to imagine it. A few years ago, the wells in Tulare County, California ran dry. And despite a $1.2 million well being installed that would solve their problems, they have zero access to it because the companies have issues with usage rights and are in court fighting over who gets to use the good well. Tulare County specifically has not had clean drinking water for at least 16 years, maybe longer. According to a study by Environmental Health from 2011 to 2015, there were 15,449 causes of cancer due to poor drinking water quality. Now, we all know that cancer is like the big bad. Imagine if you died from cancer because of the water that was given to you in California, where we have Hollywood. Just think about that. In fact, this news article said it is a toxic blend where the children are warned, do not swallow bathwater because you may die. In California. How close are we to having that kind of issue? The answer is very, very close. We are a little bit of hot weather away on a consistent basis from complete collapse. Don't believe me? The Ukrainian conflict. What if I told you that the conflict in Ukraine was based on a water crisis? This news article, I want you to look at the date, March 19th, 2021, one year ago, long before Russia invaded Ukraine as it did recently. Crimea's water crisis is an impossible problem for Putin. The Russian-occupied peninsula is thirsty, with reservoirs running low. It's an unwelcome predicament at a time when pressures on the Kremlin are rising. Now, it's fair. Russia did invade Crimea. That did happen. What also happened was Crimea is half populated by Russians and half by Ukrainians. It was the Ukrainians that wanted Russia to get involved because they said that there were issues there. Now, there are tons of articles on this. You can read it. But the trigger for the invasion was when Ukraine canceled the water supply to Crimea. The outcome of the invasion, I'm not saying it's right or wrong, by the way, I want to make this very, very clear. I'm not saying Ukraine, it's like who, he said, she said, right? Who started, it doesn't matter. You just need to know that it is the water crisis that once again caused conflict. And if you are struggling with your finances, or you go to a grocery store and it doesn't have the supply chain that you want. 
That is because of the sanctions that are being imposed globally because of a water crisis in Crimea. Think that through. If you lose your job over the supply chain, if we are rationed on food like Biden says we're about to experience, it will be because of a water crisis in Ukraine. If you do not believe that global water crises can affect you, you're in it right now. And it's not about who's right or wrong. And this is why I'm not going to comment on that. I'm not going to talk about how can we go and fix that water crisis thing. I'm just going to let you know that's the bubble. How does this make you guys feel? Are any of you awake, really awake and shocked about how a water crisis 7,000 miles away can affect you? The news won't report on that it's a water crisis issue. They'll report on a lot. And that's why I picked an article from a year ago. This is Bloomberg. It's about as credible as it gets, guys. Okay. We're going down the rabbit hole. I told you we're going down the rabbit hole. Are you guys ready? We're going, are we still good? Do I have permission from everyone to continue down the rabbit hole? Is anyone like, Adam, could we switch this? And can we instead talk about uh, why the Care Bears are no longer in the news and how there is a com complete decline in society as we've had a decline in how often the Care Bears are being shown on TV? Because the Care Bears, when they were on TV all the time, there was less crisis than what. I'm just saying that is a, a correlated fact. All right, I'm going to keep going. <laughs> Just, I like false correlations. They crack. Also, we should bring back the Care Bears. I thought it was great. Okay. My Delta Force buddy is the one that pointed out the water crisis issue to me. And he showed me that almost every war that he's involved in is a water crisis issue, and the media never talk about it. That's why my Delta Force buddy was so important. He said there are two keys to be successful as far as he's concerned. Physical and mental. He says... Being in Delta Force isn't easy. The physical demands are high. I, I wrote this down. He, he spoke it to me. But we study. We don't just trust in the education we're given. We seek out our own education. Because when your life is on the line, you cannot be educated enough. Learn the business of your passion. What he means about that is learn everything about your passion. So for him, his passion is surviving in war because he's a career soldier. He loves America. He is the only American I've ever met that says, I love Democrats and I love Republicans. I've never met an American. And if you want to be proud of your American military, know that there is one Delta Force operative who loves Democrats and Republicans alike. He's a Republican and he loves Democrats. He thinks Democrats should be able to do anything they want, just like Republicans should be able to do anything they want as long as they uphold America. Because he loves America. I've never seen anyone love America like this guy. He loves America. If we play a video game and I play any country, he plays America. And if I win, he goes, in real life, that wouldn't have happened. Like he loves America. So I just, I, just, I feel like you guys should know that like there is this super soldier out there that loves America. But he says, he puts extra time beyond what he's taught to learn more. So when they teach him martial arts, he goes and studies the martial arts privately with the number one teacher in the world. How do I know him? Because they said to him, you should get better at building rapport. 
So he tracked down, he figured rapport, dating, tracked down the number one guy in the world for dating and said, teach me everything about rapport. He signed up as a private student for three years. I taught him everything I could about rapport for three years. We became really good friends. Why? Because I built rapport with him. Why? Because he's badass. But you guys get the point. You got to keep studying. If you think you already know enough, you're just wrong. Next, mental. The number one reason people don't make it in the special forces, write this down. It isn't because they're cut. It's not because someone says you didn't make it. It's because they quit. And so many more didn't even apply. They're like, I'll never make it, right? They, they quit before they even start. The start of your day dictates whether this is a winning day or a losing day based on one thing. Do you wake up and say, hell yeah, I got this or I don't want to do today? Because whether you want to do it or not, you're going to do it. My, my friend said to me once, I love this quote. He said, when somebody pulls a knife out on you to kill you, you're in a knife fight. You don't get to say, I don't want to be in a knife fight. You're in a knife fight. The only question is, what are you now going to do about the fact you're in a knife fight? It's exactly the same if you have a bad day. If you wake up and the whole world is against you and everything's falling apart, and I think we've all had those days in a crisis, you're in a crisis. You don't get to say, huh, I really wish today wasn't like that. Today sucks. No, you're in it. But your ability to succeed at it comes down to whether you say, hell yeah, I got this, or I don't want to do this. Choosing to leave the bubble isn't easy. People love the idea of being financially free, but we have been taught to trust the bubble our whole life. Even if you have a company, you might be holding yourself back. You might be telling yourself, oh, before I can get successful, I have to do this other thing, or, or I've got to do it the slow way. Or I've got, you, you, we spoke about this earlier. You want to be given 10 million or you want to work to make a million? As a company owner, I know for a fact there are a bunch of successful business owners that said a moment ago, I'd rather earn a million, right? It's just wrong. Believe it or not, many of us self-sabotage our ability to make money the minute we start to leave the bubble by running a business. Many people say, I'm going to leave the bubble. I'm going to run a business. I'm going to work for myself. And the self-sabotage starts. Because we've been taught that leaving the bubble isn't safe. And that's why so many of self-sabotage. I don't know if my business is going to make it. I won't have safety. I won't, I won't be able to rely on anybody else. This is going to be a problem. That's where, what if I get too tired? I've got to have my free time. I've got to relax. I've got to make sure I watch TV. This isn't a career. You don't get to say, okay, I'm going to watch TV every evening now, or I'm going to go out drinking my friends this weekend. It's not a career. You left the bubble. There ain't nobody to help you if you take the weekend off to cover you. you got to do your job. This is why your income isn't where you want it to be. In a crisis, while everyone else is focused on what's going wrong and how the bubble is going to help them, right? Oh, stimulus checks are going to be great. Oh, this is going to help. Oh, I need my PPP money. I don't do that. Don't get me wrong. That doesn't mean I don't apply for it. I totally do because it's free money. But I don't focus on it. I don't think my PPP money is going to help. Instead, I do something completely different. Getting into the meat and potatoes, guys. Get ready. Here's how I grew my company 50% during the last two financial crises. There are two ways to make more money. The first is sell something old to new clients. I mean, it's a product you've already developed or a program or a course or a training or, or whatever it is that you already sell a service and find new clients. The other is develop something new and sell it to old clients, people that have already trusted you, already spent money. 80% of your revenue is going to come from existing clients. Every company, most people that spend money on Amazon in a day 
have already bought something from Amazon before. Make sense? Amazon does not exist on new customers. It exists on old customers. And the money it gained from old customers is how it found new customers. Because it takes 80% of your cost to find a new customer compared to finding a, a, an old customer communicating with them. So what I mean by that is if I have $10, it will cost me eight to find a new customer, but only two to sell something to an old customer. So it's a lot of money to spend to find a new customer. And it's very unlikely to be eight. It's more likely to be 800 per customer. When you're in a financial crash, instead of trying to find new clients, which is what everyone else does, how do we find more customers? How do we find more customers? Just focus on helping the customers you already have. I shift my focus from finding new to helping customers I already have with new things. That's the difference. It costs me less money, so I reduce my costs, and I develop new products. So for me, it's a simple cycle. Are we in a financial crash? Time to develop new systems and products. Are we not in a financial crash? Time to find new customers. That's it. And the cycle continues. As we're in a crisis, I develop new things for customers I already know. And when the crisis is over, I focus on finding new customers. It is so simple, and it will keep you alive during any crisis. Let's use a case study. Neiman Marcus. Once upon a time, one of the most famous shopping stores in America. There were songs about it. It was in rap tracks. COVID killed Neiman Marcus because no one could walk in the door. During that time, Neiman Marcus spent all its money trying to find new customers that wanted to go to Neiman Marcus. Customers that were willing to shop um, via their really bad website and then wait outside where they can hand deliver it and what have you. It was just too little too late. You know what Neiman Marcus could have done that would have been really easy? They had a mailing list of everyone that's ever bought products. They could have communicated with all of their past customers and said, what is one way that Neiman Marcus could help you through this crisis? And I suspect most people would have said, we need masks. Because people buy clothing from Neiman Marcus. And for a while, everyone was short on masks. Imagine Neiman Marcus branded masks sent out to everyone who's ever bought anything from Neiman Marcus. Designer masks. Nowadays, that's completely cool. Everyone has designer masks now. But back then, no one had it. Neiman Marcus was known for being hot fashion trends. They should have been selling designer masks at a minimum let alone any of the other things they could have done to turn this around. But what they never did was communicate with their customers. They never spoke to their loyal fans. And so their loyal fans forgot about them because they only remembered them when they walked into the store. We can look at countless companies that died during COVID and every single one of them forgot to communicate with the customers they already had. Instead, they tried to create new ads, new systems, new websites. They were looking for new people. I can show you time and time again where a company fails because they just didn't switch from external finding to internal development. Does this make sense to everyone? Does this, anyone, I can see a bunch of people saying gold nugget, gold nugget, gold nugget. Is this, does it make sense, the system? All right, good. Good. Let's continue. But the real key 
was standard operating procedures to stop leaving money on the table. In my company, I have winning standard operating procedures for absolutely everything. I have market research surveys. If Neiman Marcus called me, I could have sent them literally a sequence of things to do to identify every product that their customers wanted them to develop. They could have then worked with their existing brands, develop those products, and sell them. So simple. In the last three years, when we weren't in a crisis, I spent about $350,000 on ads from ad agencies. And every single time it failed, every agency I've worked with failed. So I decided to start putting my own energy into developing ads. Check this. Am I trying to find new customers? Or am I creating ads to sell things to old customers? You tell me. Which one? Right now, what am I doing? Put it in the chat, guys. Old customers, absolutely. I uploaded a list of all my old customers and I'm running ads to old customers. A buyer, not a lead, a buyer is $20. Very, very few companies can boast a sale for 20 bucks. They can boast a lead for 20 bucks, but not a sale. This is because we are now developing our own standard operating procedures for advertising, which is the one thing that has consistently failed every time we work with other agencies. Because we're currently heading towards a crisis, I'm spending my time developing out this new standard operating procedure. This is a pivot. I have never done advertising before, and now I am. And in doing so, I'm making more sales by selling to old customers via ads. And it won't be long once the crisis chills out a bit before I shift that and find new customers via ads. But unlike every other agency in the world, I will just have copy and paste systems to achieve this. It will happen fast and quick, and it will be effective and reliable. During COVID, the first thing that we decided to do at a time when everyone said, oh, we are an event company, we can't possibly exist. We switched to online events within 24 hours. And we made a commitment to do two online events every single month. We still do two online events minimum every single month. And all that happened was our income increased significantly. So much that we're now not letting go of this standard operating procedure. Where was it developed? In a crisis. In fact, all of our best business practices are developed in a crisis. Get it? In a crisis. Sell things to old people. Develop standard operating procedures. Use the standard operating procedures to standardize income. When we're not in a crisis, grow, find new customers, stop developing procedures, just use the ones that works during the crisis, expand out to new people. New crisis, stop finding new people, develop new standard up. This is so simple. Our email open rates stay at 20% or higher with our standard operating procedure headlines. You'll never believe when we develop standard operating procedure headlines. That would be during the 2008 financial crisis. Our sales standardized with SOP sales scripts. That happened during the crisis that came just around 2014, 15. It wasn't a massive crisis, but it was a mini one. But that's when we decided to do that. All of our strong SOPs were developed during a crisis, selling to customers we'd already sold to by communicating with them a lot and identifying what they want. But most people will not like it when you succeed in a crisis. So do you guys believe what I just shared with you would actually work if you did it? Let, let me know. Okay, Good. Good. <laughs> Maury, here comes the people on their moral high horse again. Oh, absolutely. 
Because when you succeed in a crisis, you're going to get attacked. Everyone's going to tell you that it is not okay. You need to learn that you've changed is not an insult. Because that's what you say, you've changed. You're not the same. So um, I started taking my health very seriously after my stroke. Very, very seriously. So seriously that I got a personal fitness trainer. I studied nutrition. I work out consistently. And, uh, you know, I'll pause the share just for a second just to show you guys. I'm pretty proud of this. I've got a physique. I'm a big guy. I'm not, I've never been a big guy. I'm a big guy nowadays, right? I used to be a tiny, skinny guy. Now I'm a big guy. And the reason I'm sharing this is my dad, the janitor, said to me, you've changed. And I said, what do you mean I've changed? He goes, you're too big. I was like, what do you mean too big? He goes, ah, well, you're on that testosterone now. You're totally different. I was like, oh, I'm sorry, dad, my bad. Should I call my doctor and tell him I'd like to get off of it because I'd like a stroke again, please? And he goes, well, now you're not having a stroke. You can get off of it. I was like, no, dad, my testosterone does not get generated by my body. I will literally just have a stroke and die. He goes, well, I don't want that. I just don't want you taking testosterone. I was like, you're literally asking for the impossible. And he goes, well, you've changed. I said, good, good. I'm glad I've changed. Because the version of me you liked was the low testosterone one, the one that nearly died or had brain damage. The point is, when someone says you have changed, it just means you've improved. You've leveled up. You've gone in a different place. Now, that always, right? Obviously, some people are going to have a say, right? If you've quit all your jobs and you've become homeless and you're just constantly you know, living off other people, that's not good, obviously. But you're going to have to assess that yourself. But if you're succeeding more, if you're making more money, if you're growing and someone says you've changed, that's good. So nowadays, when I succeed, like when I succeed in the crisis and made more money, somebody kept me and said, you've changed. You make more money now. You're more successful. You're different. I said, good. That was the goal. While everyone else was complaining about the, the lockdown, I prepared and bought a giant plot of land and built a farm so I didn't have to go grocery shopping. I, I have changed. I'm happier. It's okay. You've changed isn't an insult, guys. Okay. I'm about to share with you why we love to think we're in control of our decisions, why we surround ourselves with information that matches our beliefs, and that we subconsciously dismiss anything that threatens how we already believe the world to be, and why this is devastating for you to be successful. This is going to stop you making more money. In 2009, a study at Ohio State showed that people spend 36% more time reading essays and articles if it aligns with views they already have. That means most people will spend an extra 40% of their time reading something they already agree with, rather than educating themselves on the opposite. We all made fun of flat earthers, okay? Hopefully there's no flat earthers watching, but we all made fun of flat earthers. But how many of you bothered actually reading up on flat earth theory? Because I did. I spent at least a day studying flat earth theory. And I can say I've probably spent more time studying flat earth theory than round earth theory. Because I just accepted that the earth's round. It was pretty simple to me. Look up, moon's round, sun's round, Saturn's round, all the other planets round. Ours is probably round. That was my, that was my logic. No one really, no one said to me, the earth's round. I just kind of figured it out. 
I've flown around the world. The world must be round. Very simple. But flat Earth Theory, I needed a study. I was like, it's complicated. We're a disc. There's an edge. And I was like, and the sun goes in a circle. I studied it all. And it turns out when you really get into it, when I spoke to a flat earther, I had a conversation with him. I didn't judge him. I didn't make fun of him. I said, how does it work then? And you know what he said to me? Angels. I went, oh, I get it now. That was, I got it. I understood. But I spent a lot of time trying to understand things I didn't understand and I didn't really agree with. That's how you get smart. I spend as much time studying liberal politics as I do Republican politics. Don't agree with a lot of it, both sides. But I read up on it so I know what's going on. I stay as smart as possible. But there's a chance that you are opinionated and that you have beliefs, especially about money and success, like you have to work hard to make money, and that those beliefs are harmful to you. And because you don't spend time learning the opposite, you're stuck in them. And I, right now, I'm going to try and change that. Because if you don't believe you should earn more money in a crisis, if you don't believe that it's okay for you to be more successful while everyone else is going bankrupt, you're going to go bankrupt. Does that make sense? You have to look at everyone else drowning and say, I'm not going to help them. I am going to improve my boat and watch them collapse around you while you fix your boat. This sounds horrible. But the alternate is I invite everyone that's drowning on my boat that cannot support them, and I drown too. Instead, I build a bigger, better boat and invite people in carefully if they deserve to be in the boat and help them. If I said on social media that when people around me are drowning and I've got a boat, I would spend my energy fixing my boat versus inviting people in, I would get crucified. But it is the logical thing to do to help as many people as possible is fix the boat and make sure it's good before anybody else gets in it. Because the boat was designed for me. It wasn't designed for everyone on the Titanic. Just me. It's my boat. And if I give up that boat to someone else who needs it more and they don't know how to work the boat, I die and now they're stuck in a boat they can't use. So they die. You always put your mask on first, always. There is no exception. But the logic in our head is messed up because of school that we feel we have to sacrifice. You do not. You are allowed to grow your thing. Not at the expense of other people. I can't build my boat by taking down my neighbors, right? That would suck. If, if I've got a boat and he's got a boat, I'm like, oh, he's got pieces I need. I'll just take that. Now, yeah, that would be horrible. Don't do that. But I'm allowed to work on my own boat, providing I'm not damaging somebody else's. And then when my boat is good enough, I can invite as many people in as I want. That makes sense. That is safe. Okay? Sweet. Money is the root of all evil. Success takes hard work. You are in the 99%. Having a nice car is showing off. Only people from rich families become successful. These are some of the most common mindsets that people have. If I said to you, money is the root of, 
How many of you would have said evil? How many would have said more money? The second statement's correct, by the way. Money is the root of more money. One of the easiest ways to make money is with money. Money squared is money. Money is literally the root of money, not evil. Success doesn't take hard work. Success takes efficient work. If one person spends his entire life making a car and somebody else makes an efficient car and helps everyone else get cars, which of the two of them is successful? The one that spends his whole life making one car or the person that makes an efficient car and helps everybody get a car? Right? Can you help people by being in the 99% or could you help more people by being in the 1%? Hate on Bill Gates all you want. He has done more for charity than any of us ever will. Having a nice car isn't showing off. It's creating a reliable method to get you from A to B. And if it's a nice, fancy car, it's a reward for all the hard work you've put in and all the times you sacrificed not having a nice car. And people from rich families very rarely become successful, actually. Most of the time, people from rich families squander their wealth and end up broke. It's far more likely to see a child of a rich person being poor than it is to see a rich person that came from success. Most rich people came from poor families. Do the research and you'll see. Money doesn't grow on trees. Kind of actually does. Let me explain. What's money made out of? Paper. Where's paper come from? Trees. Money literally grows on trees. One of the number one ways to make money in the world, agriculture, farming. What helped Colorado's financial situation? Would that be plants? Money literally grows on trees. Anyone who says money doesn't grow on trees is just wrong. Money grows on trees in so many ways, so many analogies to how money grows on trees. Money probably grows on trees. Just to show you guys how wrong we are about things. Step one to fixing your mindset. And hopefully by now you've realized you've got to fix your mindset if you really want to get successful at this stuff. You need to be thankful for everything you already have. You can't be jealous of what other people have. And the only way to not be jealous of them is to be thankful for what you have. Do you appreciate everything you've gained so far? Everything? I once listened to a radio show of a guy whose body was dying slowly. And every day he woke up not knowing if another part of his body was dead and they'd have to remove it. And they said to him, um, are you angry at your body? And he goes, dear Lord, no, I'm thankful. And they're like, how can you be thankful when your body collapses every day? He goes, I don't know any other kind of body. I'm thankful every day I wake up and another part has not dropped off. And it made me realize, am I truly thankful for everything I have, even the bad things? Because you need to be. Because it helps you value your efforts. If I worked hard and didn't succeed, I still should value the fact that I worked hard. It encourages me to put more effort in. And I don't have to worry about what I don't have yet because I appreciate everything I have today. I want you to imagine two people and they're both trying to travel as far as possible. One person really, really, really wants to get to the destination. And the other person just loves traveling. 
Who will travel the furthest? Let me know in the chat. One is desperate to get to the end. The other just likes traveling. Who will go furthest? The one that likes traveling. Likewise, you have to appreciate this, every single step of your journey to growing your income or your business or your career. You have to love every step. If you're trying to get, improve your career, you have to love your boss, even if your boss irritates you. You have to love how irritating they are. It's like, I love how nitpicky he is. It's great. It really improves me. It helps me solve all the little problems I would normally miss. I love that. Can you do that? Because you have to if you want to succeed in that career. Or if your business has a massive error and you wipe your entire hard drive, you have to wipe everything, you have to do everything from scratch. Is that a bad thing? Or is it a chance to improve everything? Because I'm okay with it. I don't want it to happen, but if it does, I'm thankful for it. I'm like, okay, cool. I lost my favorite film person about a couple of months ago. He quit. And I brought in a new person who was terrible. And so rather than listening to my COO's advice, which was hold on to the current person until we find the best person, I said, no, fire them and I'll just do their job. So I have been doing my work and the work of a full-time film person for the last three weeks while we look for the right person. Because I saw it as an opportunity to improve the film department. At no other time in my life would I dedicate three weeks to developing the film department. And because I have, I think the film department's in a better place than it's ever been. It was worth it. I chose to enjoy the process of an extra 25 hours work a week. Yay. <laughs> Not something I would initially want, but when I'm there, rather than hiding from it or making do, which is what my employee wanted me to do, I just lent into the hard work. And I tell everyone how much I appreciate the things I have and the people in my life. I say to them, you know what? I really appreciate you. I really appreciate what you're doing. I love every single thing about it. And I make sure to say thank you. All right, guys, we've been going for about an hour and 15 minutes. This is step one of six. I've got a whole bunch. Are you guys loving this? I just want to let you guys know, um, if you're someone that's been leaving money on the table, whether in your own life or in your company, I've got an opportunity just for eight of you to fix it. Um, we have two different offers today. As you guys know, at the end, I always say to people, hey, if you want to do this. The first is I'm looking for five people that want to start a business with our winning standard operating procedures. You don't have to think about it. We can. And this will give you an insight to being just outside the bubble. So you can poke your head out of the bubble and we'll help you develop a business idea, do the market research. We've got an accountability coach to make sure you do it. And we're gonna do it for a whole year. So this is like a business coaching for an entire year. You can think of it like going to school for business for a year, but with somebody that's built multiple successful businesses. Um, I'm going to throw in a bonus power day of training with me to make sure we really get this going. And I'm going to make sure that happens at the beginning so that we really help you validate your business idea and make sure it's really, really good. Most people that build a side business can usually make an extra one to $2,000 a month pretty easy. Um, so over the course of a year, once you've got it developed, um, you know that should be a pretty easy goal for you. Um, some people obviously make a lot more. Um, it's $5,000 for the full year. So if any of you guys want to do it, I've only, I've only got spots for five, but if five you want to do it, you just text the number, sign me up to 818-441-8002. If you already have a business, the standard operating procedures are key to stop leaving money on the table. If you are not selling things every single month 
to customers that have already bought from you, you are wasting money, right? Like somebody bought from you last month will buy again this month. I know this, you know, you guys know I'm a nerd. Dungeons and Dragons releases a new book every month and I buy the new book every month because they know if they make a new book, I'm going to fucking buy it. And not just me, every other Dungeons and Dragons customer in the world is going to buy it. The most successful companies in the world know, like a new iPhone, it comes out when? Every year. And you buy the new one every year. They know, sell to old customers. Every business knows this. If you're not developing new business or new products on a regular basis, you have a problem. So I'm giving three people the opportunity to work with me directly. So I'll be your coach and I'll guide you through developing standard operating procedures. You're going to get a copywriting coach. Guys, most copywriters are 25 grand alone. Um, and I'm going to do that. Look, if you're just interested in learning about either of these or you want to talk more about how it happens, just text, sign me up to plus one eight one eight four four one eight zero zero two. And uh, Eve will talk to you um, and we can talk about it. There's no obligation if you text, you know, we're just going to talk to you and, and discuss it. So I want you guys to think about that. Very few of us take the time to think about what we have, but many of us spend the time thinking about what we don't have. Do you have a practice to sit down and think about what you have and appreciating it? Because I do. I actually have a list of my favorite objects. And this is something that I think very few people have, but it was like really important to me because I grew up with nothing. And so I always thought if I had to sell everything, this is how poor people think, if I had to sell everything, what would I keep? And so I've got a list of like my favorite objects that would not be sold. And I think it's something that really helps level me. You know, like I'm like, okay, if everything goes wrong, I'll sell everything except these things, you know? So it's worth thinking about. And they're all things that would fit in like a little bag, just for the record. Okay, let's talk about how to hack your psychology to increase motivation to succeed. Uh, we're going to talk about an, an experiment in gratitude and its impact on well-being. Two psychologists, Michael McCulloch of Southern Methodist University in Dallas and Robert Emmons of the University of California at Davis, conducted an experiment on gratitude and its impact on well-being. It's going to blow you away. The study indicated that daily gratitude exercises resulted in higher reported levels of alertness, enthusiasm, determination, optimism, and energy. In fact, in our household, you will often hear me when everyone's stressing around me. I'm like, hey, just take a minute. Just really look. Yo, we're not sick. Hey, we're healthy. Hey, we still have the ability to freaking work and kick ass. And I'll say, we've been in worse situations before. Not only this, those participating in the gratitude group had less depression and less stress exercised more often, and made greater progress towards achieving personal goals. Another research said that practicing gratitude increases happiness levels by 25%. If you don't have a regular practice of saying thank you for the good and bad, you're going to struggle. Many people say to me, what's the key to success? Like me and Eve have been together nine years, coming on 10 years. We're engaged. We're getting married next year. We're super excited about it. Like we, we're like every day, we're like, can we just get married now? I, like the chance of actually making it to the wedding date is pretty low. I think like there's a chance me and Eve might just be like, let's just go tomorrow. Because um, like that literally could happen. Um, and the key to our success is I love her and love all the things that other people don't love about her. Likewise, she most of the time is the same with me. There are certain things about me that irritate people and Eve loves me for them. She's like, man, I love that you like collecting Warhammer miniatures and you store them in every room we're in always and that you just constantly just get more of the miniatures. She goes, I love that. And I love that about her. You know, I love that she loves me for that. But that's a key to everything in life. When there's a problem in my company, I love it because it's a chance to fix it. So you have to ask yourself, 
are you grateful for the good and the bad? Because that's the key to success. You can't grow your company if you don't appreciate problems. Wouldn't we all love to have a company that never had a problem? You know what I mean? Like, that'd be great, wouldn't it? It would be terrible. And it would never grow because it's only through solving problems that you can beat the competition. When you are more efficient at solving problems, you're better at it. So the fact that no ad company could ever help us with our company is a better thing. We're going to get very good at ads and we'll beat everybody. So my dad wanted me to become a lawyer. And my whole life, up until I was like 16, I was like, I'm going to be a lawyer. But it's because my dad wanted me to be a lawyer. My dad wanted me to be a lawyer because in his world, lawyers are successful and make money and I would be able to look after him. I make so much more money than a lawyer now by doing all the things my dad told me not to do. My dad said, you need to stop playing Warhammer and Dungeons and Dragons. It's a waste of time. You will never make money doing that. I literally own a million dollar property because I play Dungeons and Dragons. Because I, I own a Dungeons and Dragons shop that owns the building it's in that's worth a million dollars. My dad's dream for me in life was become a lawyer and buy an expensive house. I own a shop that is worth more than the house my dad envisioned me buying because I played Dungeons and Dragons. He said to me, every time I told you to stop playing because it was a waste of time, I wish I could go back in time and say, keep playing Dungeons and Dragons. One day you'll buy a million dollar property with that. That's not the only seven figure property I have. I have a whole bunch. But my dad was wrong. Being a lawyer wasn't the key. Because if it isn't fun, you won't do it. If you view your job as something you have to endure, you're going to have a hard slog in life. It's very hard to be motivated to do something you don't love. And there are two ways to make money. One is to donate your time to something. You put your time and energy into it. Or the other is to create something and sell it. If you don't care about what you're doing, you won't want to put your time into it. And if you don't care about what you're developing, it won't be very good. You may want to consider doing both. Because if you enjoy what you do for work, you'll never work a day in your life. So for me, I'm always thinking, how can I sell my time in an efficient manner? And how can I develop something that people want to buy? One of my companies right now that I'm developing is a, is a paintbrush company. I'm going to show you guys because I think this is a really important point. So um, let's have a look. obviously, I don't have a set of paintbrushes. Um, so I've got a sample here. This will do. All right. No, nope, that's not one. Bear with me, guys. It's worth it. Promise. All right. So this is a good example. So this company makes an amazing, I can't say it. This company makes an amazing paintbrush. I really like using it and it's very expensive. The paintbrush is $30. And I thought to myself, I wonder if I can make a paintbrush that is just as good, but that is a lot cheaper. Now I really care about paintbrushes. Like it's something I really care about because I paint miniatures. So I developed this paintbrush. It's very similar to the other one, if you guys can see. Um, mine looks a bit smaller, but that's because it's, uh, uh, it's new. It hasn't been used yet. Um, when I first developed this paintbrush, I sent it to every single professional paintbrush person I know for free. And I said to them, I've developed this paintbrush to be better, or at least as good as the expensive one. 
Can you guys sample it? I have to lick it to put it back in the case, guys. Sorry, so just explain what's going on. Um, I'm not just eating paintbrushes. Um, anyway, and um, so I sent it out. And then we developed all the systems to be able to develop and build these paintbrushes, right? To make them. And the feedback I got, I made four of them, four different types. And the feedback I got from my customers was that most of them were good, but this one, the one that I just showed you, isn't very good. The hairs fall out of it. And so could you just run out to the sofa over there? And there's a whole bunch of paintbrushes. Just bring them all here. You'll see them. Um, the paintbrushes are for miniatures. Yeah, but I, I want to show you guys this because it's really important. When you care about something, you will put energy into it that nobody else would ever put into developing something, right? You will put that level of care and attention. I've been developing these paintbrushes for a year and I had the opportunity to launch. We were ready to launch. Thanks, mate. We were ready to launch. And because of the feedback I got from the professional painters, I then ordered a whole bunch of samples. Each one of those samples are of new designs that I've tweaked. And there's like 20 different ones. I am now going to send all of those samples back to the paint painters that said this brush was no good to give me more feedback. And I will not release my paintbrush company until I am happy with the results from the professional painters. If I was just trying to make money quickly, I would have had to launch already because I've already invested some cash into developing these. And I definitely wouldn't have spent more money into trying to make the best paintbrush ever. But this is the difference. The reason this paintbrush is so beaten up is because I paint a lot. I want a good paintbrush. I'm not developing it to sell an amazing paintbrush. I'm developing it because I want a good paintbrush that doesn't cost me $30. The irony is I've spent thousands of dollars developing a paintbrush that doesn't cost me $30. But when I finish it, I will have developed something that enables people to buy a paintbrush for $10 instead of $30. Same quality, or at least as close as possible. You can only do that if you care about it. And I genuinely care. Therefore, my quality will be that much bigger and better than anybody else's. Do you care about what you do? In our company, in morning meeting, you have to tell everybody what you're proud of. If say, here's what I did yesterday that I'm proud of. It's something that I added to the morning meeting because I want every staff member to be proud of their work. Ironically, the staff members that can't say they're proud about something often end up being the ones we fire. Not because they didn't say they're proud about it, but because it stands out that they're not really proud of their work because they're not really caring about what they're doing. We don't fire them to be mean. We just only want to work with people that care about what they do. That's it. We don't want them to care about working for us. We want them to care about the quality of their work because it's a representation of them in the same way that my paintbrush will be a representation of me. There seems to be some kind of perverse human characteristic that likes to make easy things difficult. That's Warren Buffett said that. And we spoke about this already. People would rather be, they'd rather earn a million than be given 10 million, right? Um, I used to have a visualization board to make $3,000 a month. I wrote it up on my, on my laptop, make 3,000 a month. It made me $64 that year. It was really shit. <laughs> And I hate it when people are like, you should have a visualization board. It's like, I had one. It, it literally made me $64. Visualization does work, but only if you action. 
So repeating goals and affirmations daily will help reinforce chemical pathways in the brain that can help because it makes you think about it, which does make it easier to conduct a repeated message, making it easier to believe a thought. But a thought without action is just a dream. Write that down, guys. Thought without action is just a dream. If you spend all your time just visualizing what you want, it's not going to manifest. What I like to do is for every minute that I spend visualizing something, I want to spend eight hours working on it. That is the key to success. That visualization board you have should be something you glance at and then remind yourself, is the time I'm spending being wasted? Remember we spoke about this at the beginning. Or is the time I'm spending being used towards my goal? That's the difference. I meet so many people that run a business and yet they're spending all their time learning business instead of running it. If I were you, I would spend two hours a day studying business and then six to eight hours running it. And most of the time when you're starting a new business, running a business means sales. It doesn't mean social media. It doesn't mean websites. It means sales, actually making sales. I had a consultation with some guys. They paid for one of my private consultations the other day. It's like my 5K consultation for a half hour. And uh, they hired me for it. And they wanted to sell business services to business owners. So they had this whole plan to create an Instagram channel. And they were going to like run ads to it and create social media. And I was like, do you think successful business owners are browsing social media, looking at social media things? I was like, well, isn't that how you make sales? I was like, no, that's how you make social media. If you really want to make sales, why don't you go to a convention for business owners of your industry and pay for a booth? And then at the booth, invite business owners to come and do a free consultation during the convention where you show them how much money you can make them. I was like, it will cost less than social media. You won't have to spend every day posting on Instagram. And if you get 10 business owners over the course of four days, walk up to your booth and you sell three of them, your $50,000 package, you just made 150 grand in a weekend. If there's one business convention a quarter, that's 600 grand a year without dancing on TikTok. You got to make sure that the action you're doing is going the right way and it's not wasted time. Know your audience and spend time selling to your audience. More time selling to them than anything else. That's how you grow a business. People under high stress can foster better problem solving simply by taking a moment beforehand to think about something that is important to them. And that is J. David Cresswell, Assistant Professor of Psychology at CMU. So um, I had a situation many, many years ago. I was running an event and with the event, we used to give away um, hotel rooms. So you could come to my event, study with me for five days, and I paid for your hotel room at the hotel. And um, it turned out that the person in charge of booking the hotels forgot. And it was 24 hours before the event. Now, normally that's not a problem. You'd normally pay a bit of a premium. Unfortunately, it was during South by Southwest and the hotel was in Austin. Now, if you guys don't know anything about South by Southwest, the prices of hotels goes up significantly. In fact, it went up 
to more than the cost of our program. So we could not afford to put people in the hotel room. This triggered a massive collapse in my company. Every single staff member mentally shut down, including all the people in charge of logistics of fixing everything. No one in the company could solve the problem. And I had four staff members come up to me, just like screaming at me, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? What's the first thing I did? We need to remember this quote. It's the very first thing I did. Zach just said it. I paused. I t- Eve remembers it. I told everyone, leave me alone. And I went in the shower. And I locked the door. And then I thought about all the people I love. And I thought, if somebody I loved was going to an event and they were supposed to stay in a hotel room that the event paid for, and then the event contacted them and said, we can't put you in a hotel room. How would I feel? I literally put myself in the mind of a customer and imagined it was somebody I loved. So there's my fiance going to stay at an event for five days. And now the event has said, I'm sorry, we can't put you in a hotel room. The first thing I'd think of is I'd be angry, I'd be mad. And then I'd think, how would I want the company to make it up to them? And I'd say, well, I'd want them to offer to either put her in a different hotel or give her the financial equivalent of what it would cost her to stay in a hotel. And that's where I came up with the idea. So we developed a new product that day. Remember, sell something new to old customers. And the cost of the product was the same as the cost of the hotel stay. And we phoned each customer one by one and said, hey, we've developed a new product. And we want to let you know that there are limited rooms in the hotel. We try to book them, but they don't have enough. So you can either take one of the limited rooms and we will honor it and we'll pay for it. Or you can have this product for free that is the same price and find your own location, find your own accommodation. It's your choice. 100% of the customers took the product. We developed a new product that day and we developed it and gave it to all the customers. We didn't make money, but it saved us a lot of cash, like 200 grand. And then we had a new product to sell to everyone else in the future. And who did we sell that new product to? Customers we already had. Guys, get this? So what does the research say about visualization? Okay, so published in PLOS 1, research from Carnegie Mellon University appears to show evidence that self-affirmation can help reduce the effects of stress on problem-solving performance. The results showed that participants under high levels of chronic stress during the past month had impaired problem-solving performance. In fact, they solved 50% fewer problems in the task. Looking at you people that stress out and have anxiety, you are 50% less effective if you're doing that. But notably, the effect was qualified by whether they had an opportunity to first complete the self-affirmation activity. A brief self-affirmation of saying, we got this, was effective in eliminating the effect of chronic stress on problem-solving performance, such that the chronically stressed self-affirmed participants performed under pressure at the same level as participants with low levels of chronic stress. What this means in English is, if you suffer from stress and anxiety, just stating to yourself, I've got this, completely removes 
the negative association that you would typically expect negative results from that stress. Now, me and Eve know this firsthand because when we're stressed, we look into each other's eyes and we say, we got this. And historically, up until today, we always have because we say we got this. That's why we say it. That's why we do it. You're always going to feel anxiety and stress. That's not going to go away. But you're not always going to remember to say you can handle it. And you can. And the more you handle it, the tougher you get and the more you can handle. And the more you can handle, the bigger you'll grow. Because the problems get bigger as you grow. Trust me. Savings do not save you. I want you to remember this. Savings don't save you. The richest people in the world don't have savings. They have something else. We're going to talk about that. Um, You want to surround yourself with success. This is better than savings. Standing on the shoulders of giants is what built our race to where we are today. The human race grew by standing on the shoulders of smarter people. If you tried to reinvent the wheel, that would be really stupid. You know how many people continually try and reinvent the wheel? Like we see people all the time be like, like you got, do you guys know there's a, a thing, I think it was shark wheels. It's like a type of skateboard wheel where somebody tried to reinvent what the wheel looks like. I, I just, I'm going to show you because I don't think anyone's going to believe me. Um, I, I look at such dumb stuff sometimes. Um, I'm going to try and find a, yeah, here we go. Look at this. They're like square wheels. I know it sounds insane, uh, but I'll show you guys. Look at this. Shark wheels. It's a skateboard wheel company that makes, but look, they're like S-shaped squares or something. And supposedly they are better than regular wheels. Now, this is a company that have literally reinvented the wheel. And I bet all of you knew all about it and you love the fact that the wheel has been improved. No, none of you care. Maybe, maybe a few people care, right? But no one really cares. Because there's no point going back and reinventing something that's already working perfectly fine. It's better to ride on something that's already been developed and, and go ahead and use that to leverage to build something bigger and better than they ever did. Now, um, if you listen to the wisdom of people who know more, it becomes your wisdom. And now you can build off that. My nephew's watching this. I'm 41 years old. He has two choices in life. He can figure it out on his own and spend the next 22 years trying to play catch up to me. Or he can turn up to every single one of my seminars for the next couple of years and get all of the condensed results and information from my head that I have learned and then spend 20 years becoming better than I ever was. Which of these two things makes sense? The first thing everyone should educate themselves on is how to be successful. The first lesson everyone should learn is the importance of what's the best method to be successful. And the best method to be successful is listen to successful people. Don't argue with them. Just do what they say. Don't have an opinion. Don't change it. Just do it. And now you will have the success. And then build on that. Successful people build each other up. They motivate, inspire, and push each other. Unsuccessful people just hate 
blame and complain. When somebody proves to me that they don't need to be in my life anymore because they have been hating on me, blaming me for things or complaining, I literally just cut them out of my life and I forget they even exist. Um, when I started getting success, so one of my businesses um, I'm a co-owner of is, uh, is Occam's Fitness. It's a fitness company. Uh, I'm, I'm going to show you guys the website because uh, they put my face all over it. Pretty proud of it. Um, I was the case study for Occam's Fitness. So there you go. That was me. And that's a picture of me four weeks later. That's my four-week transformation. That is 100% real. That, that's me. Like, I've got it time documented and time stamped. That is me four weeks difference following this very, very ripped and good-looking black guy, right? Occam's Fitness. And the whole point is it's minimum amount of effort for maximum results. I work out twice a week for 15 minutes, if I remember, and I eat chocolate and donuts and cakes all the time. Now, it's a bit more complicated than that because I also have to eat protein and eggs and all this other stuff, but I do get to eat pretty much whatever I want. And I eat about three to five, uh, three to 4,000 calories a day. I want to eat 5,000. I'm not there yet. It's hard. The reason I'm sharing this with you um, is that when I first started sharing this, the haters turned up. And the last time I shared it, there is a guy that I know from the business world who started spamming all my posts saying, this is fake. You're a fraud. This is not fake. I didn't share it to make sales. I didn't even add my affiliate link. I shared it because I'm proud of what I've done. It's very real. He said, this is like snake oil. And we basically decided that we're never going to talk again. Unfortunately for him, he's currently out of work. He's been out of work for six months and he's a marketing consultant. In the past, I've sent him people to work with and I've got him a couple of his clients. I'll never send him a client ever again. He hated on my success. He lied trying to claim that it was fake. It wasn't. I know it wasn't. I was there. And now he will never get my help again for anything ever. He won't even be able to communicate with me because I've cut him out of my life. Until this moment, I didn't even remember he existed. I'll go back to not remembering he existed in the moment. And that'll be it. I'll move on with my life. I'm guessing he'll still be struggling, still be angry, and apparently still struggle with his weight, which apparently has been a problem for a long time, which is why he attacked me. But it's not my fault that he didn't look into it. If any of you want to know what the secret is, the secret is lab testing. I had to do lab testing to work out what I was actually allergic to, which was causing me to struggle to get in shape. The key to Occam's fitness is science. Um, let's keep going. Okay, success isn't free. I have paid money for every expert that I ever wanted to work with, including Occam's fitness. I now part own the company, but I had to pay to be the first student. Even my friends, if I need something, I pay them. In fact, I got friends right here, and it's very rare. Like Zach's here. How often are they like, hey, make sure you make sure you invoice me. Make sure you pay. 100 percent every single time. There you go. Yep. Even little things. If I if if I ask you for a favor, I'm paying you. Whatever it is, no problem. Even even my nephews. When my nephews are helping out, I'm paying them. Like that's how it works. Or I'm I'm trading for something that's worth a lot more than they're getting. But I'm always gonna do that. There's gonna be a financial exchange. Um I wanted to work with the number one copywriter in the world. His name's John Benson. And uh, he had a $25,000 consulting fee. And at the time, I couldn't afford it. This was when I was first learning business. So I calculated how much his time would be that I could afford. And I realized I could afford $725. So I contacted him and I said, look, 
I know that you charge $25,000 for a one hour consultation. Um, and I'll, I'll do the actual math for you. Uh, so um, it was 25,000 for a consultation. Um, and I divided it by 60 and I worked out that that was $416 a minute. And then I times it by two and I got 833 and I had 725. So I think I offered him one minute and 45 seconds of his time for $725. And I was like, I'd like to pay you your full rate for one minute and 45 seconds. And he responded and said, I've never had anybody do that. I said, well, you're worth your rate. I know you're worth your rate. I just cannot afford more than $725. So I would like to hire you for exactly one minute and 45 seconds. I have one question pre-written. If you want, I'll ask it live or I'll text it to you and you can just answer it live because that will save me a bit of time. I really don't want more than one minute and 45 seconds of your time. You can just uh, do a text response. He said, no, we'll do it live. And so we got live. I asked my question and I sat talking to him for two hours. He wouldn't get off the phone. Me and John Benson became friends on that one phone call. And he said, you're the only person I've ever met that couldn't afford my rate, found a way to hire me and didn't insult what I'm worth. He's like, you have my time. Over those two hours, I learned more about copywriting than most people have ever learned. To this day, I have made millions of dollars off of the information that I got from that man. I even have my own copywriting program that's made me hundreds of thousands of dollars already, all because I paid somebody what they are worth. I don't want anything to be free. I want to know that it comes from somebody who's successful. That's it. If somebody's willing to do something for me for free, it makes me doubt how successful they are. How can they be successful if everything they do is free? I want to pay and I want to pay what they're worth. I don't want a discount because I want to be successful too. And if I help them make money, then typically I will make a lot of money off of it. One of my mentors is a man by the name of Roland Frazier. It costs $100,000 for an eight-hour day with him with a little bit of follow-up. And I paid it. I paid his full fee and I worked with him for a day and some follow-up. That man taught me mergers and acquisitions. To this day, I have made millions of dollars off of mergers and acquisitions. In front, as you saw, I'm on the front page of a magazine about mergers and acquisitions. It cost me $100,000 to learn how to do that. And yet, it has made me millions in return. If I said to you, pay me $10 and I'll give you $10,000 back, you'd all say yes. So if I said to you, give me $100,000 and I'll give you $10 million back, suddenly that gets a little bit harder for people but it shouldn't because the concept's the same. All right, it's a bit harder to find $100,000. But then again, it's a bit harder to find 10 million as well. See what I mean? Working for free isn't healthy. Um, you can't be afraid to ask for money for your services. If you're not rewarded for working, you won't want to keep doing it. Once you start charging, it gets a lot easier to make money. But you should not try and sell to your friends. Selling to friends is a really bad way to make money. And it's a really good way to lose friends. If there's a friend that does want your services, I'm going to tell you how to charge them. Now, this is a great way to get your early customers. But don't sell to them. Sell to other people. And if your friends want your services, they'll come and ask you. When any of my friends want my services, they say, hey, I want to work with you. How much does it cost? And I say, look, this is the price. However, you're my friend. Make me an offer that you think is fair and I'll say yes. Like, what do you mean you'll say yes? I'll say, I'll say yes. 
My fee is $5,000 for a consultation. If you offer me a dollar right now, I'm going to say yes. I will accept any amount of money you want to give me for a consultation because we're friends. So offer me something you think is fair. And I've had people pay my full rate and I've had people pay me $300. But if they're a friend, it's okay. But because they paid it, they listened and they used it. Better yet, they valued it at what they felt it was worth. So I know that they felt they got a good deal. That's how you can charge your friends. There is one exception to working for free, and that's volunteering. If you volunteer, you're rewarded, but it's not with money. It's with gratitude or in practicing your own skill. And it's very important that you remember this, because if you don't volunteer, you're missing out on a great opportunity to improve. After I had that phone call with John Benson, I asked him if I could help write some copy for free. And he said, yes. So I then got to write with John completely for free to learn more. I was willing to pay $725 for his time. I was definitely willing to work for free to help him to learn. I didn't view it as working for free. I viewed it as lessons with a practical outcome because he cared about the result, right? He cares about what I do if I'm working for him. So I viewed it as a way of really ensuring that the guy teaching me wanted me to succeed. So I knew that all the information he gave me was legit. So I gave up my time and I learned from him. Off the back of that, a guy hired John Benson $100,000 to write a sales letter for him. And then I got hired by the same company as his assistant, and they paid me $38,000. That wasn't John Benson giving me money. That was the company. Because John said to them, having an assistant to help me organize it will be better. And they said, how much are we paying? And John said, talk to them. So they contacted me and said, how much do you want? And I was like, well, how about 38 grand? And they went, fine, done. I had no idea how to charge it. I just knew it was about a third of what John charged. So that's how I did it. Pretty simple. All right, next up. My dad always saved for rainy days and he was always in debt. I spoke about this a moment ago. Savings don't save you. Learning from people saves you. Your money has to have a purpose. If you collect money for the sake of it, it really isn't motivating, right? If you've just got a whole bunch of money, what are you going to do with it? Money works best when money is given a task. So you say, okay, I've got this money and my money is now going to do something. So investments and saving for a specific purpose is the key. What I would do is I would divide up your money into different uh, accounts with different purposes. So this amount of money is my crypto money. Don't allow the media to sway you like, oh, I've got to buy this NFT. No, just have a crypto account. And the crypto account is used for buying whatever crypto you want. Next up, have an account that's for houses. Have an account that's for education, for yourself, to learn things. Have an account that's for fun and vacations. Divide up your money and give your money a purpose. When your money has a purpose, then you have a budget to learn things and do things. What's cool about this, even if you only make five grand a month, let's say you make two grand a month and you take a hundred bucks and you say, okay, I'm going to take a hundred bucks and I'm going to divide my money up into five buckets. I've got $20 for education, $20 for crypto, $20 for housing, $20 for fun and $20 for vacation. It's not a lot of money. 
when you start looking at education programs, you say, okay, well, I've only got $20 to spend. I'm going to buy, you know, this. And so now you spend $20, you're probably going to buy a book because that's about all you can get. And when you look at your crypto budget and you realize you've got $20 to buy crypto, well, I'm probably going to buy a book on crypto or I'm going to sign up for a, a forum, a discord that lets me talk to people. When you look at real estate, $20 isn't going to do much with property, but it could definitely buy your book. And did you know there's a pretty famous book on how to buy property for no money? $20 spent on that book is probably worth it. See what I'm saying? Now with month one, I just spent my $100 in savings. But it was actually a lot better spent than storing it for a year. And then at the end of the year, having $1,000 to spend on each thing. Now, during that month, I've got five books to read. That's going to keep me busy. I won't have any free time. My free time will be spent learning and educating. At the end of the month, I've got another budget of $20 for each of those buckets. Maybe now I'll say, you know what? Of all the things I put into buckets, I really like the real estate thing. I'm going to change around my buckets. I'm now going to spend half on real estate. And I'm going to do crypto with the other half, nothing else. Because these are the things I like most, both. And I don't need to go on vacation because I really want to put all my energy into going to home seminars to learn about this. My vacation will come out of my home budget because if I travel on vacation, it's always going to be to go to a seminar to learn about buying properties. We've shifted things. I've got a little bit of a bigger budget and I can sign up maybe for a $50 class to learn a little bit more about buying property with no money. See how this works? Fast forward a year, by giving my money a purpose rather than just sticking it in a bank, I will be that much closer to my goal. And remember what Warren Buffett said. If you don't have the money to really invest and make a difference, and by that we mean hundreds of thousands of dollars, the best thing you can invest in is your own education. Get better at what you're doing. Having goals to achieve beyond just wanting money, it is easier to grasp and visualize, right? Rather than saying, I'm going to save up money to buy a house, that's going to take forever. Spending that money on education to learn how to buy a house without money, now that's faster. That's what it means to listen to successful people. How to grow your, grow your income. So this whole seminar was all about, in a crisis, what do we do? The first thing you do is sell to old customers. If you're an employee, you can bring that to the company you're working at. Reach out to old customers, make better connections. If you're a business owner, communicate with your old customers, make better connections. The concept's the same. If you're a business owner, it's sales for your company. If you're an employee, it's protecting yourself. When everyone gets fired, they're not going to fire the guy that talks to all the customers. Next, winning standard operating procedures. You need to have standard operating procedures that you know work, that make you money. Next, you've got to be thankful. You've got to be thankful for when things go wrong because that's a chance to improve, to make them better. And when things go right, so you appreciate everything you've done. Next, you have to enjoy your work. Not because someone tells you to, not because you get to go out at the weekend. You got to enjoy the work for the sake of enjoying the work. Care about what you do. Be proud of it. Next, visualize actions, not results. Don't sit and visualize having $3,000. Visualize all the steps it's going to take to get there and then put literally 800 times more energy into doing it than thinking about it. Surround yourself with successful people, even if you have to pay them. The more times you spend with successful people, the more you'll become successful. If I look at my life, every time I've spent 
10, 20, 30, 50, 100 grand on working with somebody successful, within five to 10 years, that made me money. But it is a five to 10 year turnaround. Don't expect, I gave you 100 grand today. When will I get my 100 grand back? It's a five to 10 year turnaround, guys. Ask for money for what you do. Don't work for free. Even if you're just allowing people to volunteer how much money they want to give you. And last, give your money a purpose. Your money, when you receive it, should be focused on helping you get to the next step, whether that's in education or networking or whatever it is. But give it a purpose. It should work. Don't try and save it and you know, do crypto investing. Spend that money to learn. So let's discuss that table again. I want you to imagine that you have a table or I have a table of 100,000 in cash. So wake up, everybody. I'm going to give you the opportunity to grab as much of it as you need to prepare for the issues ahead. Now, the money's all for you, but you have to take it now. And whatever you leave is left. How much of that money do you take? Would you leave any behind? Be real. How much would you take now? Take it all. Are you sure? All of it? Everyone's back here. All right. Let's test it, punks. Would your answer change if the money was in dollar coins? Ooh. <sighs> Tricked you. Would your answer change if the money's in dollar coins? You can't take my table. You just get the... Uh... Okay. No, it wouldn't. All right. Are you sure? Because it weighs 1,786 pounds. Now what happens, guys? It's 100 grand. 1,786 pounds. Oh, shit. Yeah, Leon's like, I'll carry it all. Okay. Uh, Brian says, wheelbarrow multiple trips. Okay, I'll take the most valuable coins. They're all $1 each. Okay, ready? deadlift. <laughs> okay. How would you take it? Okay. Guys, what if you can borrow my wheelbarrow? It's a two-hour drive away, and I'm not going to go and get it for you. I've got to watch after the money. I'll look after the money, but you've got to drive two hours to get my wheelbarrow and two hours to come back. Does your answer change? Okay, so you'll do four hours of work to get it. It's 25 grand an hour. Yeah, Leon, I live in the middle of a forest. I'm literally two hours away from everything. <laughs> Everyone knows that. <laughs> All right, cool. What if it took more than four hours? What if you had to work for like a year? What if you had to spend a year to get an extra 100 grand? Would you do it? One year for a bonus $100,000. Not 6K a year, 100 grand extra a year. But you got to work. This is the opportunity, guys. I make a hell of a lot more than 100 grand a year following the smart blueprint, which is what I developed myself. Most companies that I find leave cash on the table. I'm currently working with uh, one of the food storage and supply companies that handles Panera, Taco Bell, all these big companies. Within 24 hours of being there, I helped them find $40,000 they were leaving on the table. And year on year, I've helped them increase a million dollars a year. Almost every company I work with makes a lot more money than they pay me. In fact, everyone makes more money than they pay me. Most of them, the numbers are insane. I had one person did the smart blueprint. Um, he did the, uh, the one on the right here, which is the, uh, the one where I work with you directly. So that's $10,000, made an extra million dollars. That guy was insane. He just did great. What I'm giving you an opportunity here is to have me and my team help you get the standard operating procedures, network with us, and let us help you. If you do the smart blueprint, it's $5,000 for the year, and I'm going to throw in the bonus day of training with me. So that's going to be huge. If I help you, this is just going to work. 
You'll get all my standard operating procedures. You'll have an accountability coach. I'm just telling you now, you're going to get my accountability coach, which is Eve, and she's going to make you do everything. You're going to get a copywriting tutor. I told you we have a copywriting program. Our tutor is going to guide you through copywriting. You're going to become good at copywriting. You'll be able to make money from emails. Even if you don't want to run your own business, if you don't want to start your business, you can make uh, a business where you're writing emails for other companies. Only 8% of companies in the world right now have email systems. 8%. That's a 92% of all companies' opportunity to just write emails for companies and make, and make cash. A full year of training for $5,000. If you're interested, just text sign me up to 818-441-8002. You don't have to sign up today, but if you do sign up today, you'll get a bonus power day with me. But that's only for the first five people that sign up today, okay? So if you've ever wanted to work with me and help and have me help you start a business or build a business idea out, you got to sign up today. Other than that, you can sign up later, but it's 15,000. 5,000 for the thing and 10,000 for me. On the other hand, if you already have a business, and you want to make more sales, you want to stop leaving cash on the table. That's what we're talking about here. If you have customers that you're not selling to, I help companies make more money doing that. Um, I helped Roland Frazier generate an extra $2.1 million between November and February last year, selling something new to old customers. $2.1 million in three months. That was 90% of my work by helping him develop standard operating procedures to sell to existing customers. You'll get the same personal accountability coach. You'll still be Eve. You'll get a copywriting tutor and you'll get a full year of business tuition. And this time I'll be a weekly coach and I'll guide your company every single week. That is what's on offer. You just have to text Steve plus one, eight, one, eight, four, four, one, eight, zero, zero, two. And that was the end of the seminar. What did you guys think? Was it good? Was it worth it? Did anybody learn anything. Now, I think we have a, a Q&A, right? If I can see some people. Yeah, okay, so I'm, I've got like four questions in the q and I'm going to answer. And then at the end of the q and I'm going to disappear. So uh, if you guys have questions, please feel free to put them in the chat. Uh, sorry, not in the chat, put them in the Q&A section. Um, is anybody open to giving us a testimonial on this? We would love to get some testimonials. Um, if anybody's down to do it, Please just let Eve know in the chat and say, I'm down to give a testimonial. And that way we know who to talk to because our lifeblood is testimonials. It's actually better than money. Having people say, this was the best thing I ever did is what gets like three or four other people to actually give money. So that's where the money is. Um, okay, Mori will give us a testimony. That would be great. Okay, Anonymous says, what are the signs to look for to know when a recession is coming? Here's how you can tell when a recession is coming. It's when absolutely everybody is stressing about a recession coming and then it isn't coming, then it's going to happen, right? Because here's what happens. Everyone freaks out about it coming because all the signs are there. And then everyone kind of like forgets. And then everyone goes back to the behaviors that triggered the recession happening in the first place. And that's the collapse. So that's what you're watching for. You're watching for a lot of noise. And then suddenly no one talks about it. Then it's about to happen. Either way, you just want to make sure that you're keeping an eye on it. So you know whether you have to pivot your strategy or not and grow your business. Okay, next up. Uh, this is from Lloyd. Why do people not like it when you succeed in a crisis? When there's a crisis, the people that succeed are the people that work hardest. 
Unfortunately, the people that want to be lazy don't want to get left behind as the people that work harder leave them because now they're left alone with their crisis. So it's easier for them to make the people that work hard not work as hard. So there are more people in failure because misery loves company. If everyone's failing, they don't have to admit the fact that the reason they're failing is because they're lazy. They get to say, well, the reason I'm failing is because everyone's failing. You can see that with COVID, all the companies that went under in COVID. Literally, uh, I do merging acquisitions and I see people's financials in COVID dipped. Remember, mine didn't. Mine went up. And a lot of my friends' financials went up. But often when I see a financial dip during COVID, when I'm buying a company, they say, well, you know, we can't look at the, the 2020 numbers because that was COVID. That's why it dipped. And I say to them, that's not true. Many companies grew during COVID. That means that your company is not pandemic proof. And seeing as how we are in an active pandemic, we are definitely going to reduce the value of your company because you are not built to withstand a pandemic, right? You, it's not a benefit. You can't say, oh, well, that was COVID. That's what people do. So people don't want you to succeed because now they have to actually work harder. Alex, what's the best way to start a Kickstarter to fund injection molded tracks? Um, the easiest way to start a Kickstarter nowadays is actually to hire a Kickstarter agency specialist. There's a whole bunch of companies that specialize in it. I've generated about $2 million on Kickstarter throughout my days, but I did it all before it got as complicated as it is now. Nowadays, the strategy is to buy or to build a web page that collects emails announcing the date of the Kickstarter and then paying for influencer promotions and advertising to draw as many people into an email list where you can do a countdown with giveaways and promotions in the buildup to the big Kickstarter. Then the Kickstarter releases. The goal is to make as much money on day one because if it hits a certain target, Kickstarter will promote it to its own buyers. And we know that buyers who have already bought are more likely to buy again, which means people that have already backed Kickstarter projects are the ones most likely to buy Kickstarters, meaning Kickstarter's mailing list is the key to a successful Kickstarter campaign, if you care. <clears throat> How long does it typically take to get a Kickstarter to become a reality? Nowadays, it's about nine months to a year of proper prep and doing everything. It's long, and the most successful campaigns have already actually finished the product, just for the record. Do you have to like your customers? I genuinely believe you do, yes. Uh, there's a lot of like um, mental mindset stuff around business running, and everyone who tends to have a happier business and a more successful business tends to love their customers. Okay, uh, someone says, can you repeat the bit about boats and not being selfish if you don't help flailing, suffering people? So very, very simple. I want you to imagine I have a boat and my boat is designed for one person. It's a canoe, right? So I've got a canoe and uh, the Titanic collapsed but I had a canoe in my luggage. So I inflate my inflatable canoe, which is the only way I suppose it would fit in my luggage. And now everyone's flailing around and they're saying, women and children to the lifeboats first. And I'm in my canoe. And someone comes up to me and says, you need to give up that canoe for a child. And I say, no, this is my personal property and I'm keeping it. And they go, well, you should give it up. I'm like, no, I shouldn't. Look, that man's staying on his luggage, kick him off his luggage and get a kid in the luggage. I go, well, that's not the same as a boat. I'm like, it's exactly the same as a boat. He brought his luggage here. He's floating on his luggage trying to survive. Take his luggage off of him and put the kid in the luggage. I'm like, no, why would I when you've got a perfectly good boat? I was like, that's the phrase, isn't it? You've got a perfectly good boat. This is my boat. I brought this boat because I believe the Titanic might sink. I didn't buy it for anyone else. I bought it specifically for me. And then I get busy on my boat doing stuff. I'm like, what are you doing? I was like, well, I'm getting all the luggage and I'm tying it to my boat. Like, you're stealing other people's luggage. Like, no, 
No one's claimed this luggage. It's leftover luggage. No one's taken. I'm tying it to my boat. Like, why? I'm like, I'm making my boat float more. And they go, you're being greedy. You're taking everything. I was like, no one's using it. Everyone's already swimming or floating. I'm, I'm doing it. I'm adding it to my boat. This is what I'm doing in my own, in my own world. And everyone's like, you're a horrible person. I'm like, cool. Once I've secured all the luggage to my boat, I now have a wider plane floating on my boat. And I now can go around and grab some people and put them on my boat. It's now bigger. I am now going to save more people than anyone else and definitely more than a child using my boat. That's why. How does paying fairly for help and associating with successful people work with regards to getting or working with mentors and advisors, especially mentors and advisors, motivation is not financial. So very, very simple. All mentors and advisors are successful and therefore they have to divide up their time between what they want to do and what they have to do. What they want to do is spend time with families and kids. What they have to do is continue to maintain their success. Mentors and advisors' motivation is always financial, even if they say it isn't. When I give you time, I don't view it as I could be making money. I view it as I could be hanging out with my five kids. Me helping you for free is coming at the expense of helping my own children for free. Why would I help you instead of my kids? The only people I care about helping for no money are my kids, my family, my nephews. I'll help them for free all day, every day. If you want me to take tension away from my children and my family and give it to you, pay me for it. Now I can use that money to help my kids with other things they need. And now I can help you. More importantly, if you pay me what I'm worth, I really care about your results. I want to prove I'm good at what I do. Your results will get better. How do you identify new businesses when the old business is going down? With surveys and market research. Market research is real. Most companies don't do it. We do it consistently and on a regular basis. If you've ever been with us, you'll see us doing surveys constantly. We're always trying to analyze what do people want? And we're trying to help them get it. Elon Musk once said, innovation is better than copy and paste. But learning from you, I learned that copy and paste is what you should go with. Okay, so check this. Elon Musk once said, innovation is better than copy and paste. I'm sure it's better. And yet, Elon Musk copied the car industry and made a car. The AI he uses in his cars is based off of technology that is a patent owned by SoftBank, an AI company in Japan. I'm sure innovation is better, but when you can't innovate, copy and paste keeps you moving. Copy and paste and innovate. Good point on that. I don't judge people by what they say. I judge them based on what they do, Elon Musk included. What are your thoughts on people who says being the jack of all trades makes you a master of nothing? Should I stick with learning one thing in the beginning? This is very important. Actually, it's one of my favorite things. Most people don't know the full phrase. Um, so uh, watch this. I'm going to read it out correctly. Uh, because people, this is like a massive misconception. Um, here we go. So the original jack of all trades was actually a compliment, not an insult. Let me show you. So screen share here. Okay. The complete saying was, a jack of all trades is a master of none, but oftentimes better than a master of one. It's a compliment saying that a, generate, a generalist is better than a specialist because they are versatile and adept at many things. Over time, people got lazy and stopped completing the phrase. So yes, you should not focus on one. That is bad. How do you spot a new trend before everybody else? By staying up to date with memes. Yep, true story. 
Uh, what if I literally can't afford this program, even with using all my credit and going on a payment plan? I mean, I can pay for it months, years later. Like genuinely, just buy some books. You don't have to pay me money. Buy some books. Buy some books about business growth. Buy some books about how to start a business. There's a really good book called I Will Teach You to Be Rich by Ramit Sethi. It's a great way to start if you don't have money. Do that. If you don't have money, learn how to have money. Simple. Um, can you put new product creation, creativity into a standard operating procedure? Um, inside the Smart Blueprint, we have a lot about um, product creation from an offer standpoint, not the development of the actual product itself, because there are so many different products, it would be almost impossible to create a product development SOP for the actual creation of the products. Most of the time, it's trial and error. This is where caring matters, right? When like No one could have told me, cancel the paintbrush order and then make new paintbrushes. Only someone who cares about it can say that. Um, is trying new that's never been done always a bad thing? No, it's not always a bad thing. You should always try something new, but only if you care about it. Follow up on mentors and advisors. How do you deal with those in the bubble where they think they can't uh, take more money? Uh, this is a tough one. It's very hard to communicate with people stuck in the bubble when you're outside of it. Uh, it's actually one of my biggest struggles is because, um, and you guys will see this, right? Look at this seminar. This seminar is one of the smallest ones I've ever done. And it's probably got the most valuable information because no one in the bubble cares about what I'm saying right now. Or you guys are either already out the bubble or you're curious about what's going on outside the bubble. I guarantee you. But most people don't even want to imagine there's a crisis blue. They don't even want to imagine there's a crisis coming. So why do they need a blueprint? They're just trying to ignore it and hope that it doesn't happen. While they're ignoring and hoping it doesn't happen, I'm preparing for it. Cool. Uh, yeah, Zach's got a question. He's here person. If there's people you care about that are in the bubble and you want to do it, impart upon them the severity of crisis coming up, yeah. how would you do that? I, this is a good question. So if there are people inside the bubble already and you want to let them know about the severity of what's coming, how do you let them know? You ready for this? Just keep building your boat bigger. Wait for the crisis to collapse and then bring them into your boat. That's what my land is. That's why I spend time developing. I'm developing a farm right now with enough food to feed like 20, 30 people. So that if we do have a food crisis, all my employees, we won't just be helping with medical and salary. We'll be, be like, hey, by the way, take some groceries home with them because there's nothing in the stores. That's what we're doing. That's how you help people. Rather than saying to my employees, you need to prepare for a crisis. Like, that would be terrible. I'd rather just be like, hey, we're doing everything we can to prepare for the crisis and make sure you've got job security and that we have food. And that is it, guys. Oh, no, wait, there's one more question. Thanks, Adam, for what you said about the jackal trades. I learned even more about it. That's awesome. Do you believe there's an Illuminati running everything? If not the Illuminati. Okay, this is the best. You guys ready for this? I believe the entire world is run by a giant headless chicken. I truly mean it. If you've ever seen any humans trying to organize everything, you'll know that everyone's just confused all the time and no one knows what's going on. It's far more likely that there's about 20 people that have no idea what's going on, who are like the presidents around the world and kings and queens and all the important people. And they're all just thinking about who they're going to have sex with that night. Are they going to have enough money? Um, did the horse stay back win? And what if somebody finds out that they're not doing their job properly? They're all thinking the same thing. And all they're doing is trying to cover up and protect for that and do that. That's what's actually going on. Um, so there is no secret conspiracy. There is just a bunch of people in their own little secrets they don't want anyone to find out about. And I don't care where you are in, in the order of humans on the planet. Everyone's got the same issue, right? So that's actually what's going on. Um, the, the thing is, though, a lot of people have worked out that there is this government thing that's been created in this, this bubble where if you want to be rich, we need a lot of people to not be rich so that everyone else can be rich. I can't help the whole world get rich because that breaks the algorithm. But I can help you get rich because there are 7 billion people on the planet. There's more than enough room for a lot of people to get rich. By a lot of people, I mean X amount of 100,000, but that's about it. So let me help you 
and you can get as rich as I am or more rich than me. And let's not worry about everyone in the bubble. The people that want to get out of the bubble will get out of the bubble. The bubble is designed to make people feel the bubble's good. And they're very happy in the bubble. That's the matrix, right? It is actually a really cool uh, study right now. They're talking to Generation Z because of the new matrix. Would you want to stay in the matrix or leave? And Generation Z wants to stay in. They're like, it's great. I like it here. Just level me up, make me a superstar and leave me in the matrix, right? It's a, a, a concept that in Gen X, where I'm from, we never would have thought that. We'd be like, no, I want to be free. Fuck the man. That's like my generation. But the new generation is like, no, 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 leave me in the bubble. Just give me soda. So my point is, not everyone wants to leave the bubble and it's not our job to drag them out. If they're happy in the bubble, they should stay in the bubble. You can have a happy life without leaving the bubble. You don't need to become rich and successful. I'm of the mind that I do want to become rich and successful because I want to help as many people as possible, but not because they tell me to help them because I pick and choose who I'm helping. You guys are amazing. I hope you enjoyed it. Thanks so much. Please stay on and give testimonials. It literally changes everything in our world. And if you haven't done text Eve, guys, literally there's only a few of those spots left. I know she's already had some people text her um, for you to do it. Um, thank you guys so much. I hope you enjoyed it. Now, if you're new to the podcast and you want to learn more about how to build a smart business, then the absolute best place to start is with my smart blueprint ebook. Over 10,000 people have already gone through the book and it's one of the most comprehensive resources on strategically building and growing your business that you can find anywhere for free. Just visit the smartblueprint.com forward slash ebook to grab a free copy. And I'll see you on the next episode of Smart Businesses Do This.